Welcome to The Rogue Librarians, a podcast in which three librarians discuss banned books. We are your hosts, Marion, Dorothy, and unfortunately, Alana could not be here to join us today, so we are fortunate to have a wonderful guest rogue, and that is Heather, who we've thanked many times before for running our Twitter. Well, we know the name has changed, but we're going to continue to call it that, especially since we are now abandoning our Twitter account. But um, Heather, we would love for you to join us in saying, we, we are, are the, the Rogue, Rogue Librarians. Librarians. We're glad to have Heather here to discuss this book with us, but we'd also love for you to give us your two cents. You can send us comments and questions at roguelibrarianspodcast at gmail.com. We're feeling lonely over there. Yes, and we know we're not perfect, so please, it's okay. Let us know. <laughs> Heather, uh, not her real name, in keeping with our rogue pseudonym protocol, is not a librarian. But I think that she deserves the title of honorary librarian uh, because she knows as much about books as anyone I have ever met. Uh, Heather is one of the most avid re readers I've ever encountered. I would estimate she reads 100 books a year, maybe, on average. Uh, she has reviewed books at the special request of authors uh, that she knows through the internet, reading groups. Uh, she just finds them and they love her and they ask her to read their books or they meet at conventions, you know, like a, the mystery book conventions. I know there's a number of conventions that Heather goes to or wow. did before COVID maybe. Uh, and she's even gotten cold calls through her Goodreads reviews. So that's about as legit as as it gets. So um, she has it, it, she has a blog also and has interviewed authors, uh, including Lee Goldberg, who was a writer on Monk, and Anne Cleves, who wrote the book series that the Vera Stanhope uh, and the Shetland, the two British TV series, is, are based on. So welcome, Heather. Thank you all. I'm glad to be here. I have to say that uh, this is probably one of my favorite books as a uh, kid, and I've read it, oh, at least a dozen times over the years. And uh, it's to me, it was a very personal and important book, and so it's a great one to be jumping in on. And it also was my first exposure to book banning because uh, at that young age as a kid, you know, that was when Judy Bloom's books were being banned. And we actually had discussions at home about the ridiculousness of it all. I remember my father particularly, uh, you know, just talking about how absurd the whole thing was. See, parents uh, that are yeah that have the right to teach their kids that banning books is ridiculous smart parents and that's what they did <laughs> well i'm delighted that you are here with us today and um listening to your intro even i learned some things about you that i didn't know yet so thank you so much for being here going to move into our first segment, which is background. And today we will be discussing Judy Bloom's book, 
Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. This is a middle grade novel, which was published for the first time in 1970. And it was a huge commercial success for Judy Bloom. It was listed as notable for being one of the first middle grade books to discuss a woman's period. <gasps> and if that wasn't shocking enough, Margaret was also being raised with <gasps> no religion. But more on that when we get into the summary. Um, a few accolades the book received in 1970, the year it was published. The New York Times selected Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, as the outstanding book of the year. In 2010, so 40 years later, Time magazine included Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret in its all-time 100 novels written in English since 1923, so all-time best. And then Scholastic, our favorite book fair and book club um, publishing company from all of our youths, selected the novel for its 100 greatest books for kids, 100 must-read books. Um, and then in 2023, after its 50th anniversary, a film came out entitled, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, very closely based on the book. The film starred Abby Ryder Fortson, Rachel McAdams, and the fabulous Kathy Bates. But what I really loved is that the trailer says, for over 50 years, one iconic book has connected generations. Now, the movie. And I thought that would be a great segue into our summary. So Heather, I'm going to pass it over to you if you are comfortable giving us a summary. Okay. Um, in this book, uh, the main character, Margaret Simon, moves with her family to a new place and, you know, has to make new friends and, uh, you know, at a very turbulent time of our lives, uh, 11, 12 you know, the whole preteen thing. And the book is really an exploration of her, you know, internal thoughts and communications, which she uses uh, to talk about those ordinary, normal things that kids of that age talk about, you know, including, uh, you know, friends and their behavior and school and also personal issues like um, her father being Jewish and her mother being Christian and herself being raised with no religious upbringing, being told she could decide, you know, when the time is right when she's older. And it's this exploration of her thoughts and conflicts and, you know, explorations of all those topics that, you know, were affecting her in her life. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so I'm going to go in a little bit into why the book has been banned. And it, it beginning right from the start in the 70s, it was frequently challenged because of its frank talk about menstruation yeah. And then another main reason, really the only other main reason as far as we could tell, and we did some significant research, um, is that it raised a lot of eyebrows and concerns about raising a child with no religion. Um, 
obviously there are people in the world still today who believe that if a child is not being raised in religion, that means they're not being raised with values, which, you know. Not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly not mutually exclusive. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. No. And, and for anyone who's read this book, it is very clear that Margaret's parents are very kind-hearted people who share really um, lovely values with Margaret. Margaret is a very nice young lady. She is raised to appreciate everyone um, and to consider everyone else's perspectives and to come up with her own conclusions. Um, and it turns out that, you know, Margaret, as she's in that adolescent um, preteen stage and is starting to become more aware of the world as one does in that stage of development, she's observing the impact of religion on her friends and her family. She wants to have a connection with God. In fact, she secretly prays to God, thus the title of the book. Um, she often says exactly that. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. So she she definitely has a belief in God that is prevalent in the book. Um, and she starts to really seek out friends of different religions and asks to go to their places of worship so that she can hope to find the God that she talks to in these places. And, and she, you know, so you read about that. Um, but at the same time, she knows, especially because of her family's uh, two religion situation with her mom and her dad being um, different religions, she knows that religion also causes a lot of problems in her family. Um, and as we all know, she'll soon discover that religion causes problems in the whole world. But but it but it is a it is and was and continues to be, I believe, a big issue um, about this book and why it's banned. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, the American Library Association's list of the 100 most frequently challenged books of the 1990s ranked the book at number 60. It ranked 99 on the 100 most frequently challenged books of the 2000s. It dropped off of the ALA list for 2010 through 2020 in terms of the, the highest ranking, but uh, Judy Bloom continued to be one of the most challenged authors uh, as she has many books that are challenged on a regular basis, and this one was amongst them. Back in the, in the 80s, uh, conservative warrior Phyllis Schlafly and Jerry Falwell uh, made Margaret and other Bloom books a target of their ire. This is from a um, Politico article by Joanna Weiss, which we will be referencing a number of times. It was an excellent article written in 2023 when the movie came out. All right, so we've got Jerry Falwell and Phyllis Schlafly. They were both uh, very prominent members of what was called the moral majority, and that they were s sort of the ones that were driving a lot of book bannings of uh, book challenges back in the 80s and mm. they had a pamphlet entitled how to rid your schools and libraries of judy bloom books so Oof. uh she was definitely a target yeah and i just you know i want to jump in here i i had the immense pleasure of meeting judy bloom at a library convention at one point, this is probably maybe 10, 15 years ago. And I mean, it was like 
meeting my biggest role model. I, I remember seeing her. She was in the aisle right next to me because she'd been autographing some of her books. And I ran up to her. She was you know, standing there. And I just said, Judy Bloom. And she turned to me with a beautiful smile. And I said, can I just hug you, please? <laughs> and I said, you, you made my childhood livable. And your books meant more to me than anything else that I read or learned about or talked about, you know, in that time period. And she was so gracious. And of course, she let me hug her and hugged me back. And I remember asking her what it must have felt like to have her books banned. And, you know, she she teared up a little bit. She actually told me that, you know, how how excruciating that has been for her. Of course, you know, fast forward to today where she's very active using her voice to, you know, try to prevent the pervasive book banning that's going on. But, you know, it, it hurts people. And, um, and I saw that so vividly and, and I'll never forget that exchange. Moving on. Uh, we're going to jump into our next segment now, which is historical context. Um, as we mentioned, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, was really one of the first fictional books, let alone middle grade books, to talk openly about menstruation. And and I think this is still very significant 53 years later, um, going on 54, because this is a topic that is still taboo even today. It's not only taboo, but it's is heavily taxed. There is something called the pink tax, which is, you know, an unfair tax put on feminine hygiene products that women need to deal with their periods. I think that the pink tax also, I know there's the real tax, but they just charge mm -hmm. more for products that are for women's self. For sure. Yeah, yeah. They do. yeah. And I, I was really happy to hear that the state of Kentucky, which is one of 21 states that continue to charge tax on feminine hygiene products is introducing a bill in their legislature that will remove all taxes on feminine hygiene products. And it's ridiculous the amount of extra money that people have to pay. And they're talking about, you know, it's a financial burden. But if you're a person who is in a low income family, which Kentucky is like the number two state in the country with as far as poverty is concerned, and if you're a, a a female who's already going through all these body changes in your adolescence and you have to choose or your family has to choose between buying food or buying feminine hygiene products. Imagine what that would feel like. And um, so it's a it's a very important legislation. Um, I found an article that was written by Rachel Epstein on a website in 2021 that indicated that women in the United States are estimated to spend an additional $150 million per year on menstrual products. And that's that's just women. Um, and women these days are actually starting to menstruate, many of them earlier. Um, I had a cousin who started menstruating in fourth grade. Women's bodies are changing. Um, but yes, there are 21 states that are still not tax-free, and I was going to list them all out, but in the essence of time, I think we'll simply put those in the show notes. Uh, also, you can go to periodlaw.org to find uh, the article listing the 21 states that are still that still do not have tax-free menstrual products. 
Heather, did you have anything? Uh, Yeah, there also have been a lot of legislative things trying to get uh, free feminine products in schools. Mm, Yeah. And I mean, I don't have anything to cite right now, but I know that that's been an ongoing recent legislative thing that seems to people seem to be blocking everywhere where it seems like common sense to make it available because obviously Mm -hmm. half the students are probably menstruating. Yeah. Right. We, we have them uh, where I work in the clinic. You can go get one if you need it, but that is not the easiest way to get a hold of something that you need right away. (laughs) So but uh, for sure, but I just that just occurred to me now as we were having the discussion. But back to, you know, historical context. <laughs> exactly. You know, generations of girls talk about having a real connection to this book. And I'm one of it because it spoke to them in a voice like their own. It really mimicked the ways kids talk to each other and the self-centered concerns that we as preteens all had. I mean, that's how we view the world. Mm-hmm. And we, we are used to hearing hearing that voice in books now, but at the time, absolutely new. It was very new. It was very yeah. new. And, and it was topics that we had in our heads, but we'd never seen in books before. Yep. Then there were, of course, the age-appropriate concerns to quote Time Magazine's 2010 article, all time 100 novels written in English since 1923, said that Bloom turned millions of preteens into readers. She did it by asking the right questions and avoiding pat, easy answers. And I think that mm-hmm. that sums it up very well why it appealed to us then. And why it's still appealing to people now, 50 years later, enough to even, you know, create a feature film. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And I just want to say, in having reread the book for the first time since I read it when I was 10 or 11, um, it, it was an incredibly impactful read. It completely trans, um, transferred me back to being that age in my head Mm -hmm. and remembering the traumas of that age and how I felt when I read that book and how my friends and I would have sleepovers and talk about, you know, have you read, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Do you, have you started your period? How are you preparing yourself? You know, like these are, are tough questions that, that girls and, and, and young people need uh, answers to as their bodies are changing and, and not just girls, um, the boys need it too, because they also need to understand what is happening to each other's bodies, because this is also the start of the age at which people start to notice the opposite sex. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was just a very impactful book, yeah. is a very impactful book. Absolutely. And we can't talk about the historical context without sort of placing the book where it lives in in the 70s. I mean, it was published in the 70s, so even really written prior to that. Uh, So it is dated uh, in in the details. Um, Everyone's white in the book. They only talk about two religions with three if you count Catholicism. So I think there's one little mention 
of uh, not looking into Islam and Hindu and because, Hindu because she was, didn't know anybody. Yeah, she didn't know anybody. Mm. Um, so right. it did get a little a little nod. Um, uh, and then I loved you know, references to like cream rinse. That's the one that cracked me up. Cr- <laughs> Mm-hmm. I guess that's what we now call conditioner. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think so. We had the dad's Playboy magazines, uh, which really dates dates it. But um, yeah, apparently that, Playboy is not even printed it, anymore. It's only online. Wow. I, really? I just that one really huh. struck me because I remember Playboys in the house. Um, yep. They were a little bit hidden. But, you know, kids, we we know where to look. Uh, but but it kind of struck me how sort of everybody's dad has them, you know, in the book, which was a yep. real uh, yeah. difference between then and now. We, we hide our porn much more. <laughs> Men hide their <laughs> porn much more. Um, or they think they do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a browser history, you know, that's a thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> yep. And one of the things that has been updated about the book since it came out, uh, when when we finally get to the uh, long-awaited period, they talk about equipment, which is still in the book, but they no longer uh, reference that uh, women used to have to wear a little belt, almost like a garter belt, but for you attach it instead of to your stockings, you're attaching it to the pad that is between your legs. And um, shortly after the book was written, the, um, the plastic uh, adhesive. The, the adhesive ones uh, came out and, uh, you know, nobody used the other stuff anymore. So they changed that pretty early on in the book to make it uh, more accessible to kids. What their experience was going to be with their period was going to have all that equipment. But I think as a period piece, I love, I love that historical note. You know, yeah. Uh, and I well, noticed yeah. that a lot. Speaking of it being a quote unquote period piece of the 1970s, all, all the articles mentioned that uh, and have to make a joke about it being a period, <laughs> a period piece. Yes, so, yes, so, double on yes. So, uh, pun intended, I guess. <laughs> keeping it light and then um heather i think you were going to tell us about yeah. uh technology kind of at the time and how that played into the book's success yeah um politico uh which we re- are going to be referring to a lot because they had some i mean they had the best information historically uh stated that bloom had really fortuitous timing Leonard Marcus, who is a children's book historian, uh, said that Margaret came out just as publishers were starting to issue children's book in, books in inexpensive paperback forms. And, you know, they were available in the big box stores in malls like B. Dalton and the others. And they were starting to sell books to kids without, you know, going through librarians and traditional things. So it became more accessible for kids to get the books Mm -hmm. and they were cheaper than the old hardcover ones, which most kids can't pay for out of their allowance. (laughs) So. 
Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just on that note, thinking about advances in technology and people's reading habits in 2023, 2024, where we are now, the internet didn't exist. And so children, adolescents, preteens could not surf Google to find the information that is now available at, you know, at just the click of a button on their cell phone. So again, just sort of showing historically why this book was so very, very important, where now, you know, the kids, the kids can click and say, what's happening to my body? And, and many books have been since published, but, you know, just to, to, um, really emphasize the point that this was the first and the best, Mm -hmm. just, just for historical context. But, um, uh, did you all have anything further you want to say on that? Or should we just go ahead and jump into our next segment, which is our assessment of the pros and cons? Sounds good. I'm ready to jump in. All right. So, um, you can probably tell from our historical context so far that we're all fans of this book. Um, so uh, there are quite a few pros. The first pro that you know some people might uh, question, but only because of the fact that the book was written in in 1970. But it's a big pro that this book talks to kids in a voice they can connect with. Now the actual words might have changed in the last, have changed in the last 50 years. I mean, we don't say EGADs anymore. (laughs) Um, We don't call, you know, a kid a drip. Um, We, you know, but, but we do have these same types of conversations as kids talking to other kids who are going through bodily changes or learning that their bodies are changing, wondering most importantly, Am I normal? Because isn't that the question that we all start asking when we're in our adolescence? And this this book, to me, that's what this book is, is a big question. Am I normal? And and it's something that everybody can relate to, even when you're our age, which is not adolescent. <laughs> not for a while anyways. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, and to, um, to, to further along that, that's one of the things I love so much, because in the book, she keeps asking God to tell her if she's normal. And yet all the questions mm-hmm. she's asking God in the book are perfectly normal questions we all had at that age. Right. Um, which is one reason I connected because it was so real. I mean, these were questions I had. These were questions my friends had. And it was a safe place in this book to read those questions and go, yes, that's what I, and, and it even could be a, you know, jump off of a discussion point with my friends you know, as we discuss things from the book and yeah, hey, I, you know, I get that or yeah, you know. Or even parents, right? I mean, she has a discussion with her mom in the book about the, um, 
the special class that taught them about the menstruation, <laughs> as they said. Right? Like, yes. Right? Um, and she's like, Mom, I already know this stuff. And her mom says, yes, but not every child's parents have had this conversation. So it could, you know, definitely be a way to have a conversation with your with your parents. Yes. Any, well, and anyone. I mean, and that's, and it's, you know, she's not being judged. She's just talking to God in the book. So, you know, she's not, nobody's telling her these are bad questions. They are very normal questions. And, and as she's yeah. sitting there worried about whether she's normal or not, you just want to hug her and say, everything you're asking is normal. <laughs> Right. And that's the connection yeah. I had to her, which is a very profound connection at such a young age. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think yeah. a healthy, good connection because it made me feel normal. Yeah, she's asking these questions. Well, I'm asking these questions. My friends are asking these questions. We're all normal. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> what a concept. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, even even the discussion of I was trying to find the right page in the book, and it's at the very, very beginning when Margaret first meets Nancy. Nancy comes and knocks on her door in in Margaret's new house in the in the suburbs where they've moved. And, you know, Margaret's not excited about this move because she's lived in <clears throat> the same place for 11 years. And now she's starting middle school and a brand new school in a brand new neighborhood. But Nancy comes and knocks on her door and asks her if she wants to come and run through the sprinkler with her. And she go, Margaret goes with Nancy and she, Nancy introduces her to her mom. And then at some point in that, in that same period, you know, of time, um, Nancy asks Margaret if she's going to join the JCC, which is the Jewish community center, or I can't remember the what the other organization the was, y. but the Y, ah, there we go. The YMCA, which is a Christian organization. And Margaret's like, uh, I don't know. I'm not Jewish and I'm not Christian. But, you know, again, that whole sense of belonging and questioning, am I normal? I mean, she, you know, the whole world seemed to be, at least to this, you know, to the world of an 11-year-old seemed to be divided up by, at least at that point, in this location, by what religion you were. So, you know, the question of normal just permeates yeah. everything mm -hmm. she's going mm -hmm. through. And uh, furthering that, it, you know, it's talking about religion. It's asking questions about religion. It's observing religions. But it's not really ba bashing any religion at all. She's just no. curious. She's trying to figure it all out. And mm -hmm. then, you know, she's finding that, you know, what people are saying to her about religion is not something that she's feeling when she's experimenting. And, and, right. and, uh, but, you know, there was never any negativity in terms of, you know, portraying one religion or another as bad or worse or better or any of that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think that's important because, you know, you have to be able to talk in a safe environment about these topics. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, this was, to me, a very safe environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, 
Another pro, maybe less intuitive one, uh, I listened to a podcast on Book Riot on uh, discussing this book, and one of the hosts was you know, male, and he described himself as a big reader as a kid, read through every book in the library. And so he was very aware back when he was, you know, middle school, um, elementary school, middle school, that the girls were passing this book around. Now, this was in the 90s, which I think is so interesting because, you know, like we've said, this book speaks to people across generations, uh, despite its being dated. Um, everyone, you know, is aware of it. So um, mm -hmm. he was aware that the girls were passing around the book. And he, so he read it. And his big takeaway was, Hey, girls are also worried about things, you know, here I am, uh, worried about, you know, how my body is changing, but you know, it's easy to feel like the other, the one whose head you're not in, uh, whichever group that might be, you know, has it all together, but you don't. And so I, mm -hmm. I thought it was, you know, it's an opportunity for, uh, people who are not going to get a period <laughs> to, understand a little bit about what's happening yeah yeah for sure well it's the accessibility yeah. of it i mean it's accessible to everyone right yeah right um shall we move on to cons yes, yes. let's do it um well the the number one kind that i thought of was simply or we thought of I can't take credit we thought mm -hmm. of is is just that the book was written and published in 1970 um and therefore as we've already mentioned there are some dating um as in time period issues gosh I'm just coming up with all these puns <laughs> we... <laughs> you can't talk about this book without <laughs> saying these mm -hmm. th these words but um Teens, preteens today might have some difficulty with some of the language, as I mentioned before, just words that we don't say anymore, like cream rinse for your <laughs> hair um, and yes. describing someone as a drip. And I'm not even sure do kids play spin the bottle anymore or two minutes in the closet or whatever. But um, whether whether they do or not, I think the book has so many merits um, that I'm hoping and do believe that based on, you know, what Dorothy just said about this gentleman podcaster reading the book in the 90s and the book is still being passed around that I do think I do think it is still a popular book. Um, and if it's still on the ALA most banned list, that means that it's still getting attention. Um, but, you know, some kids might find it harder to connect with, you know, also, as I mentioned, with the Internet, you know, people have. Uh, adolescents have other places that they can get information now. Um, but again, this book is just so powerful in terms of the am I normal anxiety that is normal <laughs> for preteens to to go through. Um, I also feel like having watched the movie, which is a 2023 movie, um, it probably will uh, further a renewed connection with the book. It certainly... I wanted to go back and reread it. Um, I remember as a parent of a kid at that age, I had my 
I gave the book to my daughter and said, oh, I love this as a person your age. You should read it. Um, and and yeah, so I think it, it just that it still may be dated, but I think that's that's right. that. It just yeah, is what it is. It's it's kind of straddling this line between um, it was not written as historical fiction, but it has sort of right. become historical fiction. Right. And yeah. so I don't know where it would be shelved. I'm, I'm curious to go check if it's in our library and where it's shelved. Is it because, you know, we we genrefied uh, the library at the school where I work. Oh, interesting. And so is it is it under historical or is it under? That's interesting. Realistic. I'd be curious, too. I would guess that it is still under realistic. And of course, at the library I work at, um, it is in the YA section, not in the juvenile section, really? which I find Really? Because this is a middle grade book. These right. kids are 11, 12 years old. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But that may speak more to the state in which I work. Possibly, uh, yes. The state. Sure. And yeah. yeah there, anyway. Which, you know, is kind of unfortunate because as you've said earlier, a lot of girls are getting their periods much earlier than ever right. in the past. And, you know, if a kid's mm-hmm. getting it at eight, nine, ten years old, you know. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, Florida, you know. Florida tried to say, hey, I think it didn't go through. We'll have to check and we'll maybe touch on this. Well, it's not so much about book banning, but it was about, uh, teaching about periods and they were gonna not have it in elementary school at all you know the article i read was pointing out but hey uh kids are getting their periods in the fourth grade yeah kind of they need to know something before that and discussing just period education obviously this book isn't about a lot of detail about periods it's mostly you know when am I going to get mine who's got theirs why haven't I got mine yet blah 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 but you know many topics associated with periods aren't really touched on at all like uh the pain of periods you know uh yeah they yeah I noted that for sure yeah they imply it doesn't Mm -hmm. hurt or I just got some cramps and for well, a lot a few cramps. of and for a lot of people that is the experience but also as we all know a lot of people have much more intense unpleasant periods with a lot more cramps and pain that can be absolutely debilitating and cause them to not be able to go to school or not be able to go to work for the duration of their periods and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know i mean pain is a it's a scale and they don't really touch on that at all uh but it is a reality and it's something that probably should be part of the discussions and yet even just to say a little bit that it hurts i can understand not wanting to scare kids oh and i don't i don't Mm -hmm. advocate that either but you know letting them know and, and obviously, if you have a lot of pain, you want to go to the doctor and, you know, maybe be able to find some ways to mitigate some of that mm-hmm. uh, well, or right. find out if there's a problem, like you have a problem that causes you to have a much mm-hmm. more painful experience. 
And then, of course, you know, I think it's also important for, you know, uh, boys and others who, you know, don't really have any experience with the pain and all that to understand mm. that, you know, it it could be very painful for some girls. And, you know, Definitely. of course, now we have those wonderful period simulators that uh, men can try. That. Uh, I love hearing that. <laughs> uh, to get get a good feel of it. But uh, usually that doesn't go too well for the boys. Yeah, the boys it. are like, mm, what, no. what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, I should say that the men, even include... th- these are full grown men yeah. are like, holy moly, you do this every month for several days? <laughs> and for years. Right. And for mm-hmm. years of your life, a huge bulk yeah. of your life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And does, I don't think the period, so the period simulator simulates the cramps, right? Mm -hmm. But does it simulate the hormone fluctuations? Because that's a whole nother issue that. Which our society um, often treats as a joke, you know? Oh, you're cranky. You must be on your period. Yeah. Every single time. Every single time. And then um, more recently, I had a doctor after I broke a bone because I'm a woman, a woman at a certain age. Oh, have you stopped menstruating? Oh, you must have osteoporosis. And that does not necessarily follow. No. So there's just this disdain that, um, from, for from which we are viewed, you know, or with which we are, women are viewed Mm -hmm. if you, you know, like it's a weakness. Mm -hmm. So when it's in fact a normal bodily function, that we need mm-hmm. to have if we're ever going to reproduce. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I heard about a very interesting book called Eve, uh, subtitled How the Female Body Drove 200 Million Years of Human Evolution, and how absolutely wonky and crazy and unbelievable it is that our that we evolved the way we did with having babies, that it has worked at all. <laughs> Because it's so difficult. Um, well, anyway, we're digressing. Yes. Again. Yes. <clears throat> I had so much more I wanted to say on that, but I'll yeah, stop sorry, because we're digressing. Exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will pick back up with um, Heather was talking about, uh, you know, education around periods. Mm-hmm. And so oh. now this this is a, a new perspective, which... simply could not have been considered in 1970 when this book was written, but I just wanted to throw out in the con section that, um, you know, it it clearly does not address trans women or trans boys or girls who may have emotional issues around periods. So it's not Mm -hmm. going to be super helpful and maybe could be triggering to a trans a, a trans boy who is going to have to deal with a period but really does not want to or a non, non-binary person who is having to deal with that and you know it changes how they think of who they are or a a trans girl who's not going to get their period may really feel like they are in that I'm not normal mm-hmm. um group that margaret is so worried about being a part of 
I do want to throw in here, too, that all the discussions of wanting to get their periods, I personally never was excited about it and was hoping to put it off as long as possible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I remember my biggest fear was not whether or not I was going to get it. It was that it was an unknown and and that it would sneak in at just the worst time because I was mm-hmm. very into sports. What if it happened in the middle of basketball mm-hmm. practice and my coaches were men? What if it happened in the middle of school and I suddenly stood up and there was a big mm. blood stain and on my happens. seat or on my clothes? It happens. Yes. And people would see it and make fun and of me. And they did. All right. I have one more con. And this we talked about a little bit before recording and we had a lot of different opinions on it. So I'm just going to throw it out here. <laughs> um, but this is uh, an idea from a review by a parent on Common Sense Media of the book. Um, and this person read the book as a child. She said, I remember growing up with body image problems, friend drama, finding dirty magazines, first makeouts, and so on. All stuff that's in, in the book. Uh, but... This person um, was an insecure child and felt that this book sent the wrong message, that uh, it was normalizing the idea of increasing our busts so that men could touch them, uh, wanting to look, um, you know, a certain way uh, for, you know, kind of the the male gaze. And... um, Taught, didn't want her children to read that, felt that it would not help their body image to read that book. Now, I'm throwing it out there as a con because I think we all agree and we can discuss that <laughs> Margaret learns not to care about whether or not she's keeping up with everybody else or when she grows breasts or whatever but um or she has a pretty healthy you know body image of herself it just everyone has questions but books belong to their readers and if this person felt as a child when she read the book that it made her more insecure i think that there maybe could be some validity to that well there's validity for her experience And as a parent, she does have the right to not have her child read it. However, she doesn't have the right to tell other people's children the same thing. Yeah, which we don't know if she has. No, I know. Exactly. Put her review up there. Exactly. And, (laughs) you know, and any book could trigger something uh, because it is a personal experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but that's why it's a plate for that's why it's a place to start a discussion with the parents mm-hmm. or whoever. Yes, yes, yes. Heather, you took the words right out of my mouth because I was just going to say, I think the beauty of a book that like Margaret is that, um, I, you know, we don't know the circumstances of this person who wrote this review, but it sounds to me like potentially this person didn't have a safe place or a safe person or persons with whom to have the discussion about her body image and why she felt that way. And obviously, 
human beings grow up and have lots of different experiences and have lots of different reactions to them. And the healthiest people, I believe, seek out someone trusted to talk through those feelings and to find a way to work through insecurities and to try to find their own self-validation. And I think this book gives folks an avenue to do that. And, you know, perhaps this reader didn't have that opportunity and felt isolated with her feelings and, you know, blames the book. And I think that probably happens in a lot of situations. And, you know, but like you said, Heather, the conversation, opening up the conversation, having a discussion, listening to different perspectives, this is where we learn and come together and realize that more of us have commonalities than differences. And wouldn't that be a, a nice thing for our, our world, yeah. our society to find commonalities rather than to continue the divisiveness oh. that inevitably is going to destroy Indeed, the world? But mm, that's a yeah, whole nother yeah. tangent that could take hours to uh, <laughs> delve into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fortunately, we are limiting ourselves mm-hmm. to only discussing. Book <laughs> yeah, <so>. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so unless you all have anything else you want to add to that, um, I thought we'd go ahead and talk about why this book is important, um, which is, is, I suppose our summary as rogue librarians, um, as to taking the pros and cons and, you know, trying to devise a summary per our perspective. Um, but again, I want to go back to Joanna Weiss, who is the Politico article author that we've already referenced in this podcast earlier. Um, and in, in Joanna's words, Bloom's books matter because they give teens and preteens the kind of information that leaves adults unsettled. And because their books consumed privately at one's own pace on one's own terms, they're a secret conversation that feels like independence. And unless you all have anything else to add, maybe you do. I, just to I, me, that's it, it really sums it, it up. It really is it, profound and really is the bottom line. It, it really does mm-hmm. because there's just some things you want to learn in a quiet room by yourself or, you know, contemplate. I don't know how much kids time kids spend just reading anymore Mm -hmm. but they are learning all this stuff often in very public ways um Mm -hmm. through tiktok and you know people are making videos or they're having you know conversations uh group chats i don't even know you know but i think the Mm -hmm. importance of just sitting quietly with an idea and mulling it over is you know undervalued in today's mm-hmm. world. it definitely is yeah for sure so all right well i think that concludes our episode for today um if you would like you patrons would like to leave us a question or comment please visit the roguelibrarians.com or follow us on instagram or facebook at Rogue Librarians Pod. If you're enjoying this podcast, 
and we certainly hope you are, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. And please, please, please leave us a rating and review. We want to get better. We've done this a year. We're grassroots. Um, but we want to have the discussion. We do not want to be perceived as telling you what to read or not read. We want to have the discussion. Please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash As a patron, you receive bonus audio content. I promise more is coming. We've had a little bit of uh, fluctuation with our sound uh, person. So we're getting them. We're getting more book discussions out there. Uh, We do give you personalized book recommendations and other great perks. Uh, Your financial support helps us to continue making this podcast. So please consider joining Patreon. Additionally, if you haven't already done so, please leave us a rating and review in your Apple Podcasts app and your Spotify app on your phone. Please give us five stars. We would love that. It takes two seconds once you click on our podcast just to leave a review. And I went over this in some detail before. We should put this on our website, maybe a video tutorial. But uh, you have to be on your phone, apparently, with the Apple Podcasts. And they have to scroll, keep scrolling down a little ways past the list of episodes. And that is where you will find a place to rate review. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And once again, I'm I'm going to shamelessly plead with you to do that. Um, We have mentioned that we just uh, completed our first year and are now at the infancy of our second year with this podcast. And we had a serious sit down. Um, and really discussed how much money we're each personally spending on continuing to create this podcast, um, which doesn't include, you know, the numerous hours, endless hours, really, that we're all, all of us putting in to gather the information, read the books, uh, do the research, do the recordings, do the sound editing, put it out there, handle the, the social media. It, it's just an exorbitant amount of time that we are putting in. And it's truly a labor of love for us, which is why we want to continue. But any support that any of you can offer us would certainly help to defray um, the costs that we have put into this and help us to continue if you are able, because, you know, we're librarians and teachers. So um, we're not we're not rolling in the money. <laughs> so uh, thank you for letting me put that shameless plug in. Uh, we love you. And uh, Heather, thank you for joining us today. You are fabulous as always. Um, we we certainly you just contributed so much today. And, uh, you know, we just we appreciate having a, a third person since Alana is away right now. Um, thank you to Chris. Our music is so beautiful. Every time I hear it, I'm just mesmerized and it just sounds so great in our transitions. And uh, of course, thank you to our patrons. Well, we couldn't do this without you, um, without any of you. And finally, thank you listeners for reading with us because books, books are, are meant, meant to be, be read. read. Bye. Bye. Bye.